Your Steve Jones Show podcast is loading now. The Steve Jones Show podcast is sponsored by Sunbury Motors, North 4th Street in Sunbury, and Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. Great to bring back in John Crispin. John, welcome back. Well, how you doing, man? This is a, this is a, there's a lot of weird stuff going on in my neighborhood right now. I'm losing neighbors, but we're excited about it, but maybe we're not. I really don't know how to handle all this. <laughs> it's different. It's different. Uh, when you've done this as long as I have, you get used to change and different. Yeah. So yeah, this uh, this is it's interesting though, Steve, because it's like we've seen this in our business, right? You see coaches go sure. from place to place all the time. Mm-hmm. You see assistants follow, but when you see it firsthand, it's different, and you're reminded of the the commitment required to do this at the highest level in, in our in our sport in college basketball. It's a crazy commitment, and it's not just the commitment of the coaches who are leaving. It's the commitment of the family who relocate no and kind of make their whole new life there or remake their life there because Joe has obviously been there when he was a professional. So, yeah, it's it's really interesting to see all this stuff play out. But the other thing is there's, there's also the innocent bystanders like myself who I, I have the thought of having new neighbors don't like that. Uh, I'm yeah. also assuming all of what Joe did in Crispin basketball. I mean, you're talking 700 kids in leagues, camps, clinics, and yep. everything else. So, so Joe's like, "Yeah, I think I'm going to take the Penn State job," and I was like, "Uh, so that means I have a new job too." So, yeah, yeah. it's crazy, man. It's wild. It is wild, but you know, career-wise for Joe, I mean, he's head coach at Rowan, yep. but now he's going to be assistant to the head coach at a Division One Power Five program. Career-wise, if things go well, what can that mean? Well, I think ultimately what what that can mean is he can probably start to look and pick out his job if it goes well. You know, we we understand what Joe's really brought to to do. He's brought to bring offense, uh, and it should mm-hmm. be complementary of who and what they are on the defensive side. But Joe's a Joe's a philosophical guy, and and the philosophy has to be consistent with everything they do. So. Really, it's it's strategy, game planning, it, managing the personalities. I mean, all the things that Joe kind of did as a player and also did as a coach, he's still going to do, but he doesn't have to have the focus of a head coach. And I think it's a good thing. You start to, It's like a restaurant manager, right? Well, restaurant managers are best when they start as busboys and work their way up. He's getting a taste of all of that, having had to make the decisions as a head coach. So it's an interesting way to do it, go the opposite way. Like most guys work as assistants until they get a head job. Joe's kind of doing it the opposite way, which also proves that he can do this at a higher level if it goes well. But I think, you, look, you know where Joe is. Joe's always wanted to be back at Penn State. He, he yes. wanted to win at Penn State. He hasn't mm-hmm. stopped thinking about how to win at Penn State since he was a freshman in college. When most of us were saying, is he ever even going to play? He was thinking about how we're going to win. So, I mean, right. he's, he's really dedicated to the place as much as he's dedicated to the career because I think that's that's where you be, you be getting that slippery slope area where it's like, do you just want to chase and chase and chase and hopefully it works sometime, or do you want to go make someplace great? Like, do, do you want to go make something better so when someone else inherits that job twenty years from now, twenty five years from now, it's no longer a stepping stone. It's now a job that people want. I think that's ultimately mm-hmm. the, the focus, and, and that's why he's there. Well, it's interesting because September is freshman year. Yeah, I'd go over yeah. and watch a couple of practices, and I walked out of there, and I, I, I can't remember who I said it to. It may have been Dave Baker. I said, three is playing. 
Yeah. <laughs> he says, he says, you think so? He saw, I said, he's playing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, the way things go, I mean, Dan Earl gets hurt and, yeah. uh, you know, the, here he is starting. And, and in Joe's mind, he's like, well, I expected to start anyway. And it's funny, like, there, there's a mindset behind that that is borderline lunacy and borderline true conviction. And, You've got to kind of you got to kind of balance the two, right? Sometimes you're you're not a lunatic about it. You really believe in, in yourself in a way that is sure pretty much unlike anybody else, right? And, and a lot of great athletes have that, right? Jordan, driven by his vindictive nature, he's always trying to right. prove to you, prove something to you, right? Kobe had a fear of not succeeding. LeBron James is is just insecure, and it drives him. You know, so in a way, you just have to guide those things for a, a greater purpose. And I think that's why Penn State was always perfect for Joe and and, and in a way Joe was perfect for Penn State was he was at home when he was there right so so you want to serve where you live more than you want to serve someplace else right it's why I felt lost at UCLA it wasn't home Penn State was home Penn State was my family the community was my family so I think the biggest thing is he's going back someplace that he has purpose beyond basketball and I think that's what makes this job a lot different than people understand Two parts to that. Number one, uh, so everyone knows, I know John went to UCLA. John never yeah. for a second stopped being part of my family. Why, okay. thank you for that. Now, now, and you know that. But, it's, yeah. but you already knew that. Okay, but just yeah. so everybody knows, don't start everybody like, he went to, no, no, no. He never stopped being part of my family. All right? Number two. Hey, Steve, I tell people all the time, I, I appreciate Penn State more than people that went there for four years because I yeah, left and lost it. That's right. Right. Exactly. Number two, what does this tell us about Mike Rhodes? Mm. That with that Joe, even with the deep appreciation for Penn State, signed on to be with Mike Rhodes? You know, first off, there's the, the we'll, we'll start with one direction, right? There, there's the, what does this tell you about Mike Rhodes? Well, first off, he's secure. You don't bring someone like you don't talk to Joe for five minutes and hire him if you're insecure. You don't. Like Joe will tell you exactly what he's thinking. He will give you his philosophy. He will hand it to you, and you're either going to like it or you're going to say this guy's going to be too much for me. And Mike Rhodes is expressing his security in bringing someone like Joe on because the more you spend time with Joe, the more you know this is a man who is deeply rooted in his convictions, and he will constantly share that. Uh, so, so there's that part. But the other part is Joe knows the balance is right with Mike, right? Mike is not like Joe is, and Joe's not like Mike is, and that's good, right? You, you have, if I married myself, meaning my own uh, personality that was like myself, we're in trouble. Instead, I, I married a saint who is, is helps balance my lunacy out in so many ways, and that's why it's great. So, so Joe and Mike actually really balance each other in so many ways, particularly when you think about what Mike's been able to do defensively. Like, I know he scored more at Rice, but, right. but the ultimate foundation that he created and the pressing, off, or pressing defense, which he's been able to do, it plays right into the hands with what Joe's always wanted to do offensively, score 80, 90, 100 points a game. And to do that, you have to take the risks that Mike has shown the willingness to take as a defense. So if you add offense to what Mike's been able to do, that's, that's dangerous. It's particularly yeah. dangerous in the Big Ten because no one's willing to do it. But, well, I mean, how many times, Steve, have we said, finish sixth, finish seventh every right. single year, but be different, and you'll be even more right. dangerous in the NCAA tournament. And that's the point that I, Dick Girardi and I have tried to make. 
when Penn State had Jamari Wheeler, Isaiah Brockington, yep. Myron Jones, those were that that was speed out there, and it was speed yep. on defense. It doesn't have to be speed on offense. It was speed on defense, and then this yep. year shooting the threes. Penn State over the last six years, for the most part, has been the running team in a walking league. Yes, yes, and they haven't played. And here's the thing. They haven't played fast enough, and, and this is case in point. Why is the game 65 to 60 headed into the last two minutes of play, and the game the game's end, ends up 75 to 68? Because Penn State turned it on all of a sudden, and you realize, like, wow, these guys could play like this all game and be really yeah. dangerous, but but the game's not played that way in the Big Ten. So yeah. the challenge is, how can you force the game to be played that way? Well, the truth is, you got to take more risk. You know, you have to encourage a team. It's like Gonzaga when they're at their best. What does Gonzaga do? People always ask, they don't know how to answer this question. They say, well, they score more than everybody. I go, no, no. They say, go ahead and be better than us at what we do best. Right? Yep. We run. We play with flow. We play with great rhythm. We shoot it quickly if we got opportunities. We just play ball. There's, there's less sets. I always say there's less plays and more playing. Right? That's kind of how it goes. And in a way, that's a risk in a controlled environment like the Big Ten, right? Most teams want to create structure and control the game, put limitations on the game. And we say, no, 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 no limitations. How about a constraint? Like, how about we have to get a certain amount of turns in the backcourt? We need to run and jump twice. Uh, these are constraints on the game that you have to learn to play with it. Uh, how about let's, let's play with a 20-second shot clock in practice to teach you guys how to make quick action, you know, yes. type of right. scoring play opportunities. Now, quick action scoring play opportunities, it's not a down screen, side screen. All, it's, none of, it's none of that. It's an action that puts the defense at a disadvantage. You attack with your advantage. Now the defense is chasing. You've got a scoring opportunity within 10 seconds. I mean, that's what you want to do. It's a constant pressure on the game. So I think it's going to be really interesting to see how it plays out. And you know who's a big piece of that, right? Ace Baldwin. <laughs> big yeah. piece of that. No, no, no getting around it. I mean, you start there with, with the point guard part of it. But yep. I've always been a big believer that in most games there are three points where a team can put another team away. Yep. You know, somewhere you know, like the under 12 to the under 8, you can do it, obviously, at the end of the game. But the other one's the first half. For yep. the most part, the great coaches have the same record in games decided by five or less as almost everybody else. The difference yep. is... They're never in games that are five or less because they're better and put teams away in the first half. Can you recognize and counter the adjustment? That's it. Yep. And if and here's the other part. Can you force a team to constantly adjust back to you? Like yep. can can you recognize that adjustment and say, Okay, now they're taking this away. Here's our counter. Now yep. you're forcing that team to adjust to that. It's counter the counter type of thing. And if you're really teaching ball the way we're supposed to be teaching ball this, the, today, which, which again, we're, we're not doing this particularly well in college basketball. Otherwise, the NCAA tournament would have been more fun than just upsets. It would actually mm -hmm. have been fun basketball, too. It would have been scoring in the 80s and 90s. Like, I yeah. had Michigan State and, and Kansas State. Some yeah. of the best games of the season. Yeah, that was I, awesome. I was there at the Garden for Westwood 1. Yeah. It was tremendous. It was and, awesome. and why is that great flow? Right, less yeah. stoppages, less 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 resets. Meaning, looking to the bench and saying, "What are we going to run?" You want to teach guys how to play. So, do your teaching in practice, do your coaching in practice, and really take off those training wheels in the games because that's what makes you dangerous. And if there's any place to do it, Steve, it's Penn State, man. Right. Like and, and people celebrate you do, though, who you are you when save, you lose. 
you save a couple of things for the second half to see how they react to it. Right? Yeah. And that you know and you can do that where like there's a couple things you just like lay back just a little bit. I'm gonna save yeah. it to the second half. Are you now go- I'm gonna run a set from the first half, and if you're gonna defend it the same way, I now know and this is the second half. I'll run a set to start the second half that is similar to the first half. You're defending it the same way. Now I'm gonna counter. Yes. Exactly. And you have no and you have no time to adjust because you have a sixty second media timeout. No, and there's also creative things you can do defensively, right? Sure. Where you've been Same running thing. and jumping in a certain way in the backcourt, maybe certain areas, you could blow it up and just keep them on their heels the entire time. Sure. And it's it, you can, it, but the thing is, it's fearlessness. It is stop playing their game. It's it, Joe and I always go back to it. Revolutionary war tactics, man. Don't fight the red coats on an open <laughs> battlefield. Hey, Beat them at the pass. Thin out hey, the herd. Play our game. Hey, guess what? Okay. My godmother, right, lives four houses off the Lexington Green. Oh, so I know all about yeah. it, okay? Yeah. The Redcoats marched in formation. Guess who fought from behind the walls? Yes. <laughs> yes. I mean, how about, the, how about the Mel Gibson Patriots, right? The, yes. It's like, no, no, we're going to blow up the bridge. And then we're gonna corner we're gonna corner some over here. They're not gonna know what hit him and where we even came from. <laughs> you know, right. I mean Penn State can do that basketball wise where you sit there and say, Whatever we stop, they've got an answer to. And whatever we adjust to, they've got a counter. That makes you dangerous. Dangerous in the Big Ten, dangerous in the NCAA tournament, and I know by the way, a lot of fun. Right. And that and that Michigan State Kansas State game oh. which was which I think was the game of the tournament. Yes. Uh was you want to know what was interesting about it? Kansas State plays like that with Johnson and Noel and guys like that. Yep. I got that part. They play like that. Michigan State was, and I pointed this out to somebody when I was out in Des Moines. I said, "Watch out for Michigan State." They said, "Michigan State." I said, "Because this is a team that wants to play loose and free, and they yes. haven't been allowed to for two and a half months." I said, "Watch them get unleashed." Yes, it's it's my three year old who just got up from a nap. Open yeah. that back door, and that dude's—he's in the sandbox. He's got yep. his four wheeler out. He's all over the place, right? You, you just unleash him, let the energy flow. But also, the other part of that, and you mentioned that with with Kansas State too, is is the creativity. Don't yes. don't stifle creativity, man. That's you can't do it these days. These guys feed off of it. And, and Marquis Noel was case in point, but so was AJ Hogarth. So was Tyson yeah. Walker. No, so no. was Malik Hall when they yeah. when they're given freedom. So and, and if you think, by the way, we, we keep talking about, well, well, they have the talent for it. It's like, yo, everybody's got the talent for it. Yeah. The FAU has the talent for it, right? That there's a ton of talent out there. Can you put them in a position where they feel confident to go ahead and let loose? That's it. Yeah. I mean, there's certain elements that are important within structure. Yeah. But if you allow creativity and instinct to then be a part of the structure, it's fun to yes. watch. So, so here's the key, Steve. Stop using the term structure and start using the term boundaries. Yeah. You yep. play with it here. You establish the boundaries. The boundaries are the rules with which we play, right? This is how we yep. kind of serve one another on the floor. Stay within the boundaries, and you're free to express yourself as a basketball player. That's right. You operate like that. Man, you are empowering players to go be the best version of themselves. And I think that's really what, what makes some teams great and other teams just stuck in the mud. And there are a lot of teams in the Big Ten that are stuck in the mud, and they like it in the mud, and they're going to keep you in the mud. It doesn't mean I have to play that way. 
right? You know, you have to just mm-hmm. look. My freshman year, we played Mike Kelly in that Wisconsin team that held everybody to fifty points. We scored seventy-eight. Yep. I think Joe had yep. thirty-six. Yeah, he did. No one did that. No one did that That's against right. them. And Mike didn't know what to do. Yeah, and Mike didn't know, what to, yeah, Mike didn't know yes. what to do with it. And Mike's a really good player. So please, yeah. this is not Big Ten Defensive turned. Player of the Year. It was National yeah. Defensive Player of the Year. I mean, exactly. You see, that's why I told everybody that I thought there were only two teams in the Big Ten that could get out of the first weekend. Michigan State yep. was one, and Penn yep. State was the other. Now, And I knew Texas was there. I knew that. right? And if DeSue doesn't have the game he has, Penn State does get through. Uh, yes. Because Penn State's winning the game with four minutes to go. The reason is, is that they weren't the, they were the two teams in the conference that weren't the cookie cutters. Yes. Yes. I mean, look, it's, Joe, Joe calls it a copycat league, and I said, well, you're now in the Big Ten, so you better stop saying that. I, I, <laughs> I soften the term because I like to have opportunities job-wise, and I say it's an assimilation league. You assimilate yeah. to the way the game's played in the league so you can survive a 20-game conference schedule. Right. But the reality is you're trying to do that to win the league. Stop trying right. to win the league. Don't win the regular season. Okay. Win, it's okay. Have a chance in the postseason tournament. That's it. It's Big okay Ten tournament to finish. and the NCAA tournament. It's o- yeah, it's okay to finish between fourth and seventh. You just yes. want to get to the yes. NCAAs. Because the problem you have with the style of play in the league is then it is officiated to the style of the play in the league. Yes. Yeah. And that has become stifling. And I say that would do I'm not putting down officials. I, that's what I'm not doing here. I'm saying it is officiated because of the style that is played in the league. Yep. And then they get to the tournament, and it's not officiated that way. And guess what? Yes, freedom. And guess what? My boundaries. I yes. won't use structure anymore. Boundaries. Yep. I like it. I like <laughs> it. It's true, but it's true. Like it, you see it happen year after year. We have the same conversation. And I'm sitting there saying, like, I've been telling you for years. Like I, I mean, I've had the conversations with, uh, with with people at the conference to say, "Hey, have you had conversations about style of play and and why we're we're limited so much in the NCAA tournament?" And the conversations always come back to, "Well, we don't want to tell coaches how to play." And I was like, "Okay, well, maybe you can punish them differently. Punish poor play through officiating. Call the game the way the game should be called, which is facilitating a game that has rhythm and flow. That's it. Fairness, rhythm, and flow." That's exactly. it. Exactly. But but we don't have that in the league. It's it's you know bang it out down low, call timeout, rest up so you can go bang it out down low again, and it's it's brutal at times. This league this league penalizes offense <laughs> more than yes. any league. I'm talking about like NFL, NBA, NHL, yep. Yep. right? The Big Ten penalizes offense more than any league I've ever seen. Yeah, we celebrate charges as if they're great defensive yeah. plays. It's like, right. no, that and guy did nothing but run in front right. and stand there with his hands down. That's not defense. Uh, and and not guess what? It. 90% of ones that are charges are actually blocks, and you and I yes. know it. Yep. It's like, <laughs> come on. And I and we, yeah, wonder, and, we and, wonder why the play is boring at times. Uh, and the dribble handoff. The dribble handoff. That's oh, what Lord. Oh, dock it off. Just play. <laughs> Man. I mean, and the thing is, we, we talk as if it's, well, it's more physical now. I say, no, no, it's more athletic now. It's not more physical. It used to be way more physical, way more oh, physical yeah. than I played. And before that, even when scores were higher, when, when we yeah. did have the Loyola Marymounts and then Michigan scoring 135 to 120, mm-hmm. it was still incredibly physical, but it was allowable physicality. 
Like we really, I always said this. This is so. This was my big thing when when we came out with freedom of movement. I got on the officials' bad, and I said, "Look," and I'm talking about the bureaucracy of, fish, of officials, yeah. not the guys calling the game. The guys That's calling right. the game are doing their best to keep a job, and they're following stupid rules. But I said to these guys, he said, "Here's the problem, guys. What you don't understand is the game. The game and everything else in life is all about balance, right?" We're never going to be all one thing and not, and, and, or all the other. We, we've got to have balance in the game. And when you come out with a point of emphasis that's freedom of movement, you darn well better come out with a point of emphasis that's freedom of contact. Because you yep. need to determine what allowable contact is within the game so you don't just blow the whistle. And when the scoring goes up one and a half points per game and you celebrate it as if you accomplished something, all you did was put guys at the free throw line. That's it. Yeah. The game's yeah. no better. You've slowed it down. So freedom of contact is as important as freedom of, of movement. Without without the opposite side of it, there's no balance and there's no flow. You clean, you clean it up in two weeks. That way yeah. they know how the remaining 12 weeks are played. Exactly. Okay. Yeah, you may also go to four quarters and punish fouling in the sense that at sure. five fouls each quarter, you're shooting right. two. Right. You'll stop people. But also what, what people don't understand is the timeouts, the way we structure them in the men's college game, First off, it's just dumb. We're the only we're the only basketball out there that plays two two halves. It's just dumb. And and if I hear one more thing about well TV, it's like oh, figure it out. Sit me in a room for forty five minutes with TV folks, and I guarantee we'll figure it out. I, I the did age the of information, NIT, figure it out. <laughs> I did I did the NIT in twenty eighteen. It was four quarters, and they yep. they figured it out. <laughs> yep. So. Yep. You figured it out. But the other thing is, what we don't understand is. We're not actually fatigued because of the amount of timeouts and stoppages we have. And, yeah. and it takes forever to get the ball inbounds on a dead ball. All these things, it just slows the game down. Baseball's doing a much better job of it. And I've actually watched yep. baseball games now. Mm-hmm. Fatigue helps flow. So what you want to see is you want to see guys fatigued from running up and down the floor. They won't foul as much. They just won't. We think that if you're tired, you foul. If you're tired in a physical game, an overly physical game, you do tend to foul. But they don't tend mm-hmm. to call it. It just gets so physical. But if yeah. you fatigue guys by running up and down the floor with less stoppages, like the Michigan State-Kansas State game, where we didn't have a stoppage until 1350 in the game, yeah. we, cre- we created a great flow in that game, and that determined how the rest of the game was going to be played. It was awesome. And, and I hope we can find that more. Otherwise, it's, it's probably going to be more of the same. Guess what? There are two things that will happen. One, TV ratings will go up. Two, more yep. people will attend the games. Right. Yeah, and you know what? Those commercials you're losing, they'll have more value anyway. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Hey, you're the best. See, I'll you're going to be after. I'll see you, you in about a month and a half. To, yeah, coaches versus cancer, right? You're going to come up? Yep, I'm going to come up. I'm hoping to bring my dad, too. Oh, please. I look yep, forward to it'll it. Be, that'll be special. That'll be special. Thanks, John. You got it, man. Anytime. Look forward to seeing you.